Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you here. Um, my name is Dan Min. I'm the pastor here at uh, Alliance Christian Fellowship here at ACF. And uh, special good morning to all of you. Uh, hope you got some rest after what was uh, a late night for those of you who stayed up to watch the game. And uh, I don't know about you, but I had a hard time sleeping. My nerves were just, it was just shot after last night's game. And for some of you, it wasn't because of the game. Some of you went canning and, and you guys had a uh, your last canning trip uh, for here at Penn State. And so regardless of what your weekend looked like, we're glad it landed you here at ACF. And so we're glad you're here. Hey, if you have your Bible, just go ahead and take that out and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be spending our time here today. If you don't have a Bible or if you don't have a Bible with you, just go ahead and throw your hand up. We'll have some volunteers coming around uh, handing out Bibles to you. If you don't own a Bible, if you don't actually own a personal Bible, this is our gift to you. We will give it to you. Take it home. Write your name in it. Mark it up. And uh, we don't. this is not on loan. This is for you to keep. We want you to have a Bible for yourself. If you are looking along with us in this Bible, we are on page 869. 869 is where we are today. Now just hang out there for a minute. Luke chapter 10 is where we'll uh, be spending our time. We're continuing our series called Stories That Move Us, uh, where we're looking at the parables of Jesus. And, And church, I hope... I hope that this series has been helpful to you. I hope that this series has been as enjoyable to receive as it has been for me to preach. And uh, uh, hopefully it's helped you see Jesus and his kingdom maybe from a different lens, a different light. Um, and uh, I just, I, I love these parables. And uh, I, because the truth of the matter is I, I love a good story. I don't know if any one of you in this room are like me. You just, you love a good story. But furthermore, I love, maybe you can resonate with this, I love when a story takes me by surprise, right? Like, I love when you think you know where a story's going, and then bam, you know, it just takes a detour, and it just takes you completely by surprise, right? I love when that happens. Now, I hope today's story will do that for you. Today, we're going to look at a familiar story that I know is familiar to the vast majority of us. In fact, For those of you who have not even grown up in the church, you don't have a faith background, my guess is that you have heard the terminology, the Good Samaritan. All right, give me a head nod if you've heard that term before, whether you grew up in the church or not, the Good Samaritan, right? Well, that terminology actually comes from a story that Jesus told, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that's the story we're going to be looking at here today, and I'm praying, this has been my prayer all week, this has probably been one of the harder sermons I had to work on and craft because because of the familiarity of it, because it's so familiar. It's like, okay, you know, we've all heard this story before, right? The Good Samaritan. And so my prayer for today is that the Holy Spirit would do what he loves to do, bring illumination and revelation and bring to us something new and afresh. And so I'm going to pray that. In fact, would you pray with me and let's, let's lean into that truth here today. God, we pray that you would impart to us Uh, the work of your Holy Spirit, that as we open up the pages of Scripture, you would cause us to be surprised by what we find in the story. Even for those of us who have grown up in the church, who have heard the story uh, a million times, we pray that we would glean something fresh and anew, Lord. Your Word tells us your Word is living, it is active, it's alive. And Lord, it's not a stagnant, dead book. And, And so, Father, we pray that you would do a good work through your Word, here today, this morning, we look to you for that, and this in the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 10, uh, we're going to pick it up from verse 25, 
And we'll work through this here together, and I'd like to share some thoughts that uh, the Lord kind of downloaded in my study time with you. And so, hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says, verse 25 in chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, him being Jesus, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal Life. Let me just pause right here. I want you to know this lawyer here in this story isn't a lawyer as you would think of today. It, it, this is not a civil lawyer. This is a religious lawyer. In other words, this was a person who, who uh, was an expert in the law, as you might say. Someone who studied the scripture deeply and who knew what God's word said inside and out. And so here comes this lawyer asking Jesus a question that he already knows the answer to. He wants to know if Jesus knows the answer. Newsflash. Jesus has the answer sheet to every single question on the planet, okay? You don't, you don't need to test Jesus. But this, this lawyer says, I want, I want to know if you know what, what the law says. Right? And so how do you inherit eternal life? But you see, Jesus is smart. He catches what's going on here. And so verse, verse 26, he says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You see what Jesus does here? He turns it back on him and answers the lawyer's question with a question. You ever been there where you're, you know, you just want a straight answer, right? But you just like, they just keep asking questions. Like, just answer the question. Just stop asking me questions. Just answer the question, right? You see, Jesus does this very intentionally. He has known to do this as kind of a teaching method wherever he went during his ministry on earth. Why does he do that? He doesn't do that as a tactic or a ploy or as a means of manipulation. He does that because he knows that if he helps you arrive to the answer and discover the answer for yourself, it will have a far greater impact. You see, great leaders, understand this. You guys are young leaders growing in, into growing greater in your leadership capacity. Some of you are serving in leadership roles in your organizations and such. I want you to know that a great leader is a great asker of questions. A great leader is a great a great leader isn't someone who just dispenses all the right answers. A great leader asks the right questions to help the person come to discover the answers for themselves. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He asks a great question. What is written in the law? You know the law. You're a lawyer. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answers in verse 27. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This happens to be the great commandment, right? For those of you who are well-versed in the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus, this is the great commandment that Jesus gives us elsewhere in the Gospels. In verse 28, it goes on, and he, he being Jesus, said to him, the lawyer, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Sweet, right? I mean, the, the lawyer got the answer correct. He got it right. But the lawyer isn't satisfied with this response. He digs a little deeper. In verse 29, the story continues. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? Folks, this is a key question for today. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. But this is the question that ultimately triggers today's parable. The parable that we have all come to know as the Good Samaritan. And so Jesus responds with this story. In verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, he, he being the lawyer, responded by saying, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now today, church, I want to talk to you about three specific movements that I think Jesus is trying to get us to make in this parable. Remember, Jesus tells us these parables not to just move us uh, emotionally, but what? Holistically, right? Not to just move us to emotion, but to what? Action, right? He wants to move us to action. And that's where we come to our first movement for the day. Jesus is trying to move us from who to do. From who to do. In fact, church, can we just say that together? From who to do. One more time. From who to do. Jesus is trying to move us from who to do. I want us to go back to that question that, that the lawyer asked. Who is my neighbor? You see, I, I want you to know that this, this very question is basically revealing the lawyer's heart. This moment, the lawyer is showing all of his cards. I mean, his poker face is gone. He has revealed all of his cards. In this moment, he's exposing his true heart's intention here. Now catch this. The commandment that Jesus affirmed, love your neighbor as yourself, has no indication of who your neighbor is. Did you, did you catch that? Nowhere in the great commandment, anywhere in the gospels or here in this story, does Jesus indicate with great specificity who your neighbor is. And so what is the lawyer getting at with this question when he asks, who is my neighbor? What he's saying is this. Yes, Jesus, I will love my neighbor, depending on who it is. You see, Jimmy down the, the road, I mean, you, you know Jimmy. We all like Jimmy. Jimmy's a good guy. Jimmy's got a good reputation. Jimmy's, Jimmy's liked around the block. And so it's not too difficult for me to love Jimmy. But Bobby down the block, well, you know Bobby. Jesus, you know Bobby. You know, everyone knows Bobby. Bobby's, Bobby's a little thorn in everyone's side. You know, Bobby, no one really likes Bobby. Bobby. Bobby's pessimistic. He's a glass half empty kind of Bobby. Like, no one likes Bobby. You couldn't possibly be asking me to love Bobby. So, so Jesus, let's just, just clarify for me here just exactly who is my neighbor. Right here in this moment, the lawyer is revealing something profound. Something so profound that I think all of us are in that same place. We can catch ourselves in that same place. It is the highly conditional state of our heart. We are wired and hardwired with a highly conditional state of our heart. But you see, church, Jesus wasn't concerned with the who question. Jesus was concerned with the do question. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm concerned with you answering the question, who is your neighbor? What I want to know is, do you love your neighbor? I don't care who your neighbor is. I want to know, do you love your neighbor regardless of who it is? You see, church, you already know this. We live in a cultural climate where people everywhere are asking who questions. 
Americans are really good in this nation asking this question, the same very question that this lawyer is asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus, who is my neighbor? Is it the Republican or is it the Democrat? Is it the liberal or is it the conservative? Is it the blacks or is it the whites? Is it the Asians or the Hispanics? Is it the refugee or the resident? Is it the immigrant or the citizen? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, Jesus? You see, it's because of this who question, I want you to understand this, to feel the full weight of this question. I believe it's because of this who question that we see tragic events like Charlottesville, Virginia, happening all over the country, by the way, not just in Charlottesville, but all over the country. Charlottesville happens to just get, get a little bit more media than other places, but this is happening all over the place. It's because of this who question, who is my neighbor that's producing people who are anti-black, anti-Hispanic, anti-white, anti-Jew, anti-Asian, anti-this, anti-that. Church, the only thing that the people of God should be anti is anti-hate. That's the only thing that the people of God should be concerned with, anti-hate. Friends, things like racism, bigotry, prejudice, the long-standing track record of hatred in our country, even within the church, it needs to stop. It needs to stop. And, and uh, folks, please hear me. I, I realize how you know, easy it is for me as an Asian man in America to get up and say, hey, stop being racist because I'm a minority, I'm a victim. I'm not saying that. Now, trust me, I've grown up with all kinds of racial slurs in, in, the, in the New York City public school system. I've, I've heard it all, gotten to fights over them. But that's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying things like racism, hatred, judgmentalism, all that needs to stop because I'm a follower of Jesus. Because things like hatred and racism have no place in the kingdom of God with the people of God. Amen? I mean, I, I, don't, know if, I don't know what kind of crowd I'm preaching to here because I know that we've got people from all different walks of life. But let me just say, when I study this book, when I study the word of God, there is nothing that says the people of God should cozy on up with things like bigotry, things like prejudice. I don't care what color your skin is. If you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, things like that have no place in your life. It can't. But you see, we're so accustomed to asking questions like, who is my neighbor? And if we want to see things like racism and prejudice stop, we need to ask, stop asking the fundamentally wrong question, who is my neighbor? The question we need to be asking is, do I even love my neighbor regardless of who it is? Do I love my neighbor? I want you to notice something here. I want you to see that Jesus will never answer a question that he has no business of answering. We as people have a tendency to ask the wrong questions to Jesus, and Jesus knows that, and he has no, he's got no time for that. He's like, I'm not going to answer that question because that's, you know, that's just, you're asking the wrong question. I want you to notice something interesting here. Notice Jesus never, never actually answers this lawyer's question of who is my neighbor. Right? Nowhere in this passage does, this, does the answer come about to who is my neighbor. The lawyer poses this question, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into this story about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan who walk into a bar. Right? Like that, that's, just, I mean, that, that's kind of the effect that this story has. Right? He tells a story about this priest, this Levite, and a Samaritan. And afterwards, there's still no answer to the question, who is my neighbor? Rather, he begins the parable and ends the parable with a do. Not with the who, with a do. I want you to notice in verse 28, Jesus says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. And then at the end in verse 37, Jesus says to him, you go and 
do likewise. You go and do likewise. Church, could it be that Jesus is more concerned with us being the good neighbor than us finding the good neighbor? See, Jesus looks the Lord square in the face and he's like, hey, buddy, I I think you got the wrong idea. I'm not concerned with you figuring out who the good neighbor is out there. I'm concerned with you becoming the right kind of neighbor in here. I don't care that you're concerning and spending all your energy trying to find out who your neighbor is out there. I want to do a work in you to to cultivate a good neighbor in here. Jesus is trying to move us from who to do. Moving us from stop asking questions like who is my neighbor to do I even love my neighbor regardless of who it is. The movement from who to do. The second movement that we see Jesus making is a movement from me to thee. Let's say that one together. From me to thee. One more time. From me to thee. I'm sorry, I had to go King James on you here because I needed to make the point rhyme because, you know, rhyming points are anointed points. That's just how it goes. At least, at least that's what we're taught in seminary. I, I don't know if they're right, but, uh, but if you want to go modern, it's from me to you. I mean, that's what we're trying to say, right? Friends, I want you to see the message of this parable. A lot of people are familiar with this parable of the Good Samaritan, right? We've all heard it before. And oftentimes, the moral of the story, the takeaway point of this story that a lot of us walk away with is something to the effect of treat the downtrodden with care, right? I mean, there's a man on the road, broken, beaten, left to death. Treat the downtrodden with care or treat others with deep respect and compassion or care for the fellow man, care for each other. Now, while all those are valid takeaways and great morals of the story, I think the moral of the story goes far deeper. I think the purpose of this parable runs far deeper. You see, I think Jesus is trying to ask us to make a fundamental change in our lives at our core level, moving from me to thee. Moving from me to thee. In other words, we need to cultivate a spirit of caring for others at our own expense. We need to cultivate a spirit of caring for others at our own expense. You see, church, I, I know we're all good Christian boys and girls, right? So we like caring for people, right? We know that we ought to care for people. That's a good, you know, like the golden rule, right? Like we all buy into that. We know that we ought to care for people. But when we attach the notion of at our own expense, well, that's where the caring seems to stop for most of us. When it inconveniences us, and yet that's precisely what it means to be a good Samaritan. You see, you got to understand, the, the Samaritan wasn't the good Samaritan just because he cared for the man on the road. The Samaritan wasn't the good Samaritan because he had compassion on him. The good Samaritan was the good Samaritan because of the great lengths he went to to care for this man. I want you to listen to what he did. In verse 34, it says, he went to him and he bound up his wounds Pouring on oil and wine. Oil and wine, folks. I mean, this is not the oil and wine you find at Jersey Mike's. I mean, this is oil and what valuable commodities, things that held incredible value during that time. He pours that stuff out for this man. He doesn't treat him like I treat my kids. I just put some dirt on it. You'll be fine. Like, just go on your way, right? He pours oil and wine on this man at his own expense. And then it goes on and he says, then he set him on his own animal. I think Jesus was intentional about putting in that concept. His own animal at his own expense. And he puts him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him, took care of him at his own expense. Now look at this. In verse 35, notice what it says. 
And the next day, the next day, the brother came back. I mean, he didn't, he, he didn't just drop him and forgot him. He didn't just set it and forget it. He came back to follow up with him. Hey, I want to see how you're doing at his own expense. The next day, he came back. He took out two denarii. Again, literally out of his own expense, right? We, we covered this last week. A denarii or denarius uh, is a single day's worth of wages and income. He gives out of his own bank account and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He intends on coming back to further care for this man. As I read this, I felt a conviction in my own spirit. I felt like the Lord was saying, Do you in the church even care for each other this way? Forget the man on the road, the stranger out on the street. Do you care for the people in your own community, in your own family, your brothers and sisters in the faith? Do you care for each other in this way? I want you to see this is an extraordinary kind of care. This is not just throwing a few few pennies in, in 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 the bucket, in the cup. This is going to great lengths at our own expense. This is not normal, and yet this is the very standard that Jesus is calling us to. It's not normal for us to care for people like this. I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you're Mother Teresa. I mean, it's it's not in our nature to go to this great lengths to care for people. And yet, this is the standard for us. This is the bar. And so this is what it means from moving from me to thee, where we move from my convenience to your convenience, where we say it's not about my need, it's about your need, brother. It's not about what I want, it's about what you want, sister. It's not about my preference, it's about your preference, what you prefer. I mean, isn't this what Jesus taught us to pray? Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not my kingdom come, my will be done, my plans, my ways, my agenda. By the way, this thee, moving from me to thee, works both ways. It works with God and the God and the others. It works both ways. Furthermore, I will say this. When you make your life about the God, your life as a natural byproduct will yield a my life is about the others. Now, folks, let me just say this. If you've been walking with Jesus for some time, if you identify yourself as a believer in this faith, and you have no heart for people, You have to seriously track back a little bit and ask yourself the question, is my life really about God? Because if your life is about God, all throughout Scripture, this is not something I'm making up. All throughout Scripture, this is a kingdom principle. All throughout Scripture, your life will be about others. That's what the gospel is about. The gospel is all, you guys know this, right? Jesus didn't die on a cross so that, we can be a bunch of self-absorbed, self-obsessed, self-focused jerks. You guys know that, right? I mean, that's not what the gospel is about. Jesus didn't die on the cross for that. Jesus died on the cross so that, hey, I want you to give your life for others as I have given my life for you at your own expense. That's moving from me to thee. Saying my life is not about me, but it's about exalting you, and in exalting you, I'm going to help others. And not, not just help others like when it's convenient, but help others at my own expense. This is what it means to move from me to thee. You see, this Samaritan was able to make that shift from me to thee, but the priest and the Levite, they couldn't quite make that jump. And this is where we come to our third movement of the day. Jesus is trying to move us from looking good 
to being good. Let's say that one together. From looking good to being good. One more time. From looking good to being good. You see, the priest and the Levite, they look the part. They, they, they looked good in the public eye. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with what a Levite is, a Levite was, was basically, it would be, uh, you know, the, the modern version of, of our worship leader. You know, it was like Gabby the Levite. You know, like that, that's, that's, what, that's what Ethan the Levite, you know, like it was the worship leader. It was the person who was consecrated and set apart to do God's holy work. Okay? Now, the priests, we all know what a priest is, right? They, they essentially served as the bridge, the liaison between the people and God. They, they served as that bridge. They were the most two holy and righteous people. If you were to pick anyone from a lineup, you would pick the priest and the Levite to be the, 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 the holiest, the most righteous pick of the crowd. In fact, in any other story, the priest and the Levite would have been the obvious protagonists. They, they would have been the obvious heroes, now, the Samaritan, on the other hand, was understood by the Jews to be the bottom of the barrel. I mean, the Samaritans represented everything that the Jewish people hated. And I want you to understand, the hatred wasn't just like, yeah, I don't feel like going and partying with these Samaritans. Like, the hatred was deep. I mean, it was severe, and it ran all the way back into the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to unpack this in great detail, but, but here's why I bring this up. The listeners to this parable were largely Jewish in nature. And so when Jesus chooses the Samaritan to be the protagonist of the story, the hero of the story, for the Jewish listeners, the whole script gets flipped upside down. In fact, they have a hard time comprehending this because in their minds, it's a complete oxymoron. It's a deeply paradoxical, and not just paradoxical, it is deeply offensive. It is so offensive to these people to think that there would be such a thing as a good Samaritan. It, was, it would be like today saying like a good neo-Nazi. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work together. It doesn't make sense. So for the Jewish people, they're like, there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. There's nothing good about a Samaritan. Notice how in this story, the Jewish lawyer, he can't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. When Jesus asked in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Listen to what he said. He said, the one who showed him mercy. That guy, I suppose. Him over there. Yeah, that, 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 that third character in the story, that, that guy. You know, the hatred is so deep, he can't even get himself to say the word Samaritan. Now, in addition to that, I want you to take note of the path that Jesus chooses in the story. He says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Again, if geography, biblical geography isn't your thing, you might, have, you might not appreciate this, but, but this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was historically known as a treacherous road. In fact, it had historically the nickname the Bloody Way. I mean, this was a 17-mile trek through winding desert roads that was lined with caves all along the way and all along cliff edges. And in these caves hid thieves and robbers who would, who would assault and ambush travelers on their way. Hence, it made a lot of sense that there was this man that, 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 were, that were ambushed by thieves and robbers left for dead. 
It was a dangerous road. You know how there are some roads you just don't travel on, right? Like in certain times of the night or whatever. Like I, I remember Nicole and I, we were having dinner in Harlem one night and we were, you know, we were late to catch our train, right? And so we, we quickly wrapped up, finished our dessert and, and, and we ran out. We were running down the streets of Harlem, right? And, and, and as we were running, we ran past this man and this man literally jumped out of the way and he yelled, hey man, don't you know better than to run up, uh, run up on behind someone like that? Because in the streets of Harlem, when you hear footsteps running, that quick behind you, you're either getting jumped, mugged, or shot. And so this guy jumped out of the way because in the streets of Harlem, you just don't travel certain roads and certain alleyways, even downtown here, right? Like some of you guys are like, I just... That I know that alley exists, but I just don't go there past 10 o'clock, past 12 o'clock, whatever. There are some roads you just don't travel on. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a road you just didn't travel on because it was dangerous. Now, get this. The text tells us that the priest and the Levite, upon seeing the man, what did they do? They passed by on the other side. Now, I want you to understand this. This wasn't just neglect. This, this wasn't just, I don't feel like helping this person. When the text tells us that the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side, you got to ask the question, what was on the other side? At any point in along that 17-mile journey, the road was lined with cave-filled thieves or the edge of a cliff. And so imagine the priest and the Levite would rather risk their own safety and their own lives than to help this man in need. How not good do you need to be to risk your own freaking life to avoid helping someone in need? Of all the people, you would think, surely the priest and the Levite would recognize, you know what, there's a man in need here. Surely I'm going to help them regardless of what the context and the environment looks like. But they, the text tells us he passed by. The priest passed by on the other side. The Levite passed by on the other side, whereby they put their own lives at risk just to avoid helping this man. You see, the priest and the Levite might have looked good in the public eye. But Jesus was exposing their true colors, as he was with the lawyer. Listen, friends, Jesus wasn't looking for people who just looked the part. He wasn't looking for uh, people who, who looked good. He was looking for truly good people. What, church, tell me, because I know, I know you're, you're tracking along here because you're smart people. What's, the, what's today's parable called? The parable of the what? One more time. God, you are. You just, oh, man. Let's try that one more time. The parable of the what? The good Samaritan. Is it the parable of the good-looking Samaritan? Is it the parable of the Samaritan who looked good, who acted good, who had the right behavior, right set of morals and right set of behaviors? No, it was the parable of the good Samaritan. By the way, folks, you can't fake mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise, showing mercy do likewise as a Samaritan did. Here's the thing about mercy, if you don't know this already. You can't fake mercy. You can't just look merciful. You're either merciful or you're not. Mercy is not something that you can fake. Now, here's the key, folks. Here's the key. Jesus is the only one who can make you a truly merciful person. Jesus is the only one who can actually make you truly a good person. You can, you can do all you want to 
Make yourself look good. I can do everything that I want. Put on a nice shirt, nice pants, nice tie, and go out and help people. And, and, and I can look the part. We can look the part. But Jesus, at the end of the day, Jesus is the only one who can actually make us good. In fact, he's the only one who can move us from who? To do. Jesus is the only one who can move us from me to thee. Jesus is the only one who can move us out of looking good to actually being good. Jesus is not only calling us to this. Jesus wants to do this in us. He wants to make us into people who are able to make this movement. And so what do we do with this? If Jesus is the one who does all this, what do we do with this? In fact, worship team, you guys can come on up and get set up to close us out here. And as I get set up, I want you to think on this. If Jesus is asking us to move from who to do, I stop asking who is my neighbor and I start examining my own heart and ask myself, do I even love my neighbor regardless of who it is? If Jesus is asking me to, to move from me to thee and stop focusing on, on, on my self-obsession and start focusing on the needs and the benefit, the betterment of others, if Jesus is asking me to stop, stop wasting so much energy on just trying to look the part, look like a good Christian, act like a good Christian, and actually be a good Samaritan, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, it's actually quite simple. We ask for a heart transplant. We ask for a heart transplant. Now, I don't know if it's because I've been watching too much Grey's Anatomy or what, but, but, but that's just that's where my head goes. We ask for a heart transplant. What we mean by that is we give, we come to a place where we say, Jesus, I want to exchange my heart for the heart of Christ. My heart is broken. I know what's in my heart. Church, I, I, I don't want to tell you half the things that's in my heart. And I have a feeling that if we broke out into little circles and little groups here and say, hey, share all the deepest, darkest things of your heart, you'd be like, heck no, man, no, no, no. there's some stuff in my heart that, I, that belongs in my heart. I, I don't need that. Here's the thing. If we really want to make some of these movements that Jesus is calling us to, it's not about just, see, because here's the thing. Without a heart transplant, a good Samaritan is just someone who does good things. That's all it is. Without a heart transplant, the moral of the story is just go good, do good deeds. Without a heart transplant, we're just a bunch of people who go around doing random acts of kindness. Now, there ain't nothing wrong with random acts of kindness. But that's not what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying what I'm looking for is a gospel-driven, changed lifestyle. And that only comes about through a heart transplant where we say, God, I, I need your heart. I need your heart. And so today, if you're here today and you say, Dan, I, I'm with you, man. I, I feel like I need the heart of Christ in my life. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I'm just tired of trying to generate good deeds just because I know I ought to. How many of you know you can do, you can do good in the world because Christ compels you to? Some of us, we've been living under this burden of, I've got I've to do things for the kingdom because I know I have to. You see, when Christ gives you his heart, your have to becomes I get to. I get to be his hands and feet in this world. 
I get to be a messenger of good news. I get to be an ambassador for his, for his cause. I get to be a, a minister of, of reconciliation in this world. I get to do all of that because Christ compels me to. Folks, you and I ha- do not have the ability and the power to be good on our own might. That's why we needed the cross. That's why we needed Jesus. Because our Father knew full well that we are fallen beings and we fall short of the glory of God every single day. How many of you know that, right? We fall short of the glory of God every single day. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for Jesus. Because Jesus is not just the one who calls us to these three different movements. He's the one who actually makes it happen. And so all you got to do is come to the Lord and say, Jesus, I trade in my heart for yours. I give my heart to you so that I can acquire your heart for me. And church, if you're in that place here today where you say, man, I, I, just, I need the heart of Christ in my life, would you just go ahead and stand to your feet? Go ahead and stand to your feet right now. If you say, man, I need the heart of Christ. I can't do it on my own. I've tried to be a good Samaritan, but all I end up with is good deeds, random acts of kindness. But God, I know there's got to be more to the story than just good deeds. Jesus says, good news, there is. I'm not just asking you to do good deeds. I'm asking you to be like me. And in order to be like me, you've got to have my heart. You've got to have my heart. And so, Lord, here in this place, as people are stood all across this place, God, would you transplant your heart into ours? We need your heart. Because without it, we're just left ask, asking, who is my neighbor? That, that's, that's, we're just left there. Without the heart of Christ, we keep saying, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me, not about thee. Without the heart of Christ, we end up wasting our energy on just looking good rather than actually being good. And so, Jesus, would you cause us to be truly good Samaritans?